Well, good morning, family. That's good. I like to hear that. So, hey, my name is Dax, and I've been looking forward to saying this. I'm not one of the pastors here at Heights Baptist Church. I just enjoy hearing you guys say that every time, so it's fun to be with you. Not that I don't, yeah, whatever, that's uh, just fun to say that because Lee always identifies himself. And um, Lee, I want to tell you thank you so much for letting Jennifer and I be a part of um, our time here in the States and just get a chance to share with you guys in different contexts and formats. And you guys have been a blessing um, to Heights in the years you've been here, and we look forward to many years with you continuing um, to be a part of, of our body here. So just I want to say thank you. Um, and thank you for this time just to be able to share with you guys uh, as we celebrate an amazing season of the world um, and what God has done just for mankind. So it's, it, it, it's great in the last week. I also, Jennifer and I and our kids want to tell you thank you so much for this last week of Multiply the Mission. And, and just to say, we are indebted to you as you guys send us to places around the world for uh, what God has been doing and your giving, your generosity, the sacrifices you've made um, to be a part of that. You, that is directly sending our family. It sends other families like us. It sends other singles, whether they're a recent college graduate, someone who left career midpoint, um, someone who is retired and wants to go overseas. And some of them are even pre-graduates, before they graduate college, they're taking off some time um, to serve overseas. And what you have participated in is putting people not just overseas internationally, but domestically um, and locally. So I know Lee's going to give us some kind of update later, but I also wanted to throw in a quick thank you. And Jennifer and I are so gracious um, for how you've been a part of that for the last um, 16 years that we've been able to be overseas. And so I uh, hope you hear that from our hearts and, and just know that, that God is at work. Uh, and we pray that as you guys multiply the mission here locally, um, that it's being multiplied also throughout the United States and then also just overseas too. Well, I want to share with you um, a, a story that it comes from the Bible. Obviously, Jonah's up there. You can so you can kind of see where we're headed with this. Um, but when Lee said, hey, hey, why don't you come and share with us? And he gave me this option in December. I was like, okay, Christmas, right? Like we're in the Christmas season. Um, but then I was like, wait, their Christmas series doesn't start till later. So how do I work? And the Lord just kept bringing me back to this. Uh, and, and I think there's obviously some, um, some messages that are in there that we've just over time kind of... A, brought together some of Jonah's experience. But one of the places that I want us to look at today is that first chapter of Jonah. A lot of us know the story of Jonah. We know the story about him ending up in the belly of a fish uh, and then getting spit out. But sometimes we don't, I don't know if you're like me, sometimes I kind of forget to go back and look at, hey, what actually took place um, in the very, very beginning. And so what I'd like you to do, if, if you can, if you're in a place to do this, would you stand with me and let's read God's word. If you have it in print with you, great. If you have a digital form, uh, then grab that. Maybe like me, I had to turn my phone on airplane mode. I actually threw it in the bag because I was afraid I might get messages. Let's read this together. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV version. They'll be on the screen, the words, if you're not able to see those. But as we honor the Lord's word, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. 
But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what, what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? See, for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And that's the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for God revealing to us and speaking to us in your word. And Father, I do pray, God, as we, um, God, as we talk through this and what this means, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, Father, to hear you uh, and to be faithful, God, to what you are, are impressing upon us, Lord. May you give us, God, great insight as we hear, um, not from me, but hear from you. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, I don't know if you've ever made a mistake. I'm sure that all of you have not. I'll just confess that I have. Uh, I do recall a time it had been a long week for some unknown reason. I don't know if it's when we had six kids or whatever, but it had been a long week. I was really tired. I had stopped in somewhere um, to pick something up. And if you've been around me, my wife will say, like, I just talk to people because it's fun. Like, just talking to people. Like, I want to ask questions. What's your life? And so I get into a conversation. But someone begins to deep dive deeper into the conversation with me. And I've got my checklist. i got to get in and get out. I'm ready to go. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And the Lord impressed me on my heart. Tell them about me. And I'm like, seriously? Like, I'm exhausted of course, I'm thinking like a person. I'm exhausted. I'm worn out. I'm hungry. I'm ready to go home. Jennifer is expecting me home. Like, yeah, guess who won that one? Not me, but guess who disobeyed? Me. And I got myself out of the conversation. I moved on and I'm in the car, headed home. And God was like, What are you doing? Now, I made a mistake, but no one has written a book about it <laughs> that's been replicated for generation and generation in multiple languages for people around the world to read about, to dive into, to, to go into it with a fine tooth comb, figure it out and say, hey, what do we learn from this guy that really jacked things up? 
I'm so thankful that that hasn't happened. But Jonah's case, not quite so much. I turned the car around. I tried to go back to the store. It didn't work out. The guy was gone. And I spent a lot of time confessing before the Lord my own personal failures. I don't know if you've ever caught yourself in a situation like that. But when we look at Jonah, I think there's some things that we can look at before like he even chose to disobey. Because God is an incredible God of compassion. God loves us and he has this amazing thing about him. If you miss this in that first chapter, God is in the business of restoration. He is in the business of redemption. He's in the business of reinstating us because in Genesis, when God created the heavens and the earth and he created mankind, he created us to be in a relationship with him. But sin entered the world and I've sinned. And that relationship is broken, and so I need restoration. If you missed out in this, this is not one of those things, I mean, you can just remember it, not that I came up with it. God kind of did it on his own. God is restoring us, sorry, restoring us, redeeming us to himself, which is why we're at the point where we begin to celebrate this season of Christmas of Jesus coming from heaven to earth to be the ultimate sacrifice for us. I know Lee and Matt, I'm not sure who else is participating in this series that's coming up among us as we celebrate this Christmas time. But I want you to take a look at some things that, that happen in Jonah's life because when God gives Jonah a directive, he expects obedience. Here's a principle or here's kind of a, when we make some observations of this first chapter, when God gives directives, we need to understand this. God's directives are worthy of humanity's obedience. You see, God gave him a directive. He said, get up, arise, go, and call him out. I love the version that uses the word call out because that's so modern. You know, like if you get called out, Matt, do your kids ever call you out? They're like, dad, come on. You say, yeah. Uh, that's I think one of the worst parts about being a dad is like when your kids call you out. Hey, you did. So like there's no need for a complete like reiteration of what this word meant in the old language. Like, they, get, they were about to get called out for something. God gave him a directive and he expected, God expected ob obedience. Let's not overlook this. Of all directives to flub up. Really? God's? I mean, think about it. And then we've got a few kids in here. When your parents say to do something, it's like, I'm do it. don't touch the hot stove. You know, and hey, your hand fried, you know. Um, I've got a daughter that when we were here in the States, like whatever, five years ago, it's like, hey, don't reach out of the bunk bed. You might fall out. Okay, dad. So she reaches out, tries to put a star on the ceiling. Guess what happened? She fell on the ground, busted her arm. We had to take the emergency room. By the way, she's the daughter. Don't tell her I said this because she's not here. She's in her life group. She's the daughter that has allowed us to visit every emergency room in every, not every, Every country we've been in, we've taken her to the emergency room. So, you know, yeah, I mean, it just happens, right? Um, but the, of all directives, when your spouse calls you and says, hey, pick this up from the store on the way home, or would you go do this? A friend calls and says, meet me here, or tells you to do something. A boss gives you a directive. There's an internal thing, process going on inside of us, weighing the results of if I do this, this would happen. If I don't do this, part of it comes from who is giving that directive, and God's directives are worthy of our obedience because God is worthy. Whether I worship him or not, God is worthy. I want you to take a look at this map real quick. Now, I didn't create this map. Um, I hijacked it off the Internet. So, um, but the guy, the, uh, the guy that created it has given a lot of people freedom to use it in context like this. So I'm going to say it's not like 100% to scale, but it gives us a really good picture. So you can see down the far bottom right, Joppa, which is where um, 
Jonah goes to. So from there over to Nineveh, not too long of a way. Some people estimate it's up to 500 to 600 miles. I haven't walked it personally, so I'm not 100% sure. But then you look at where he was headed to the left. Look at the left of your screen, all the way over to Tarshish. Again, we're not necessarily going to say that this is completely to scale, but it's a little bit longer to Tarshish, right? tad bit. Some people estimate it's close to 4,700 miles, not 4,700 nautical miles. 4,700 miles. I mean, let's think about it real quick. 500, 600 miles versus 4,700. Up to eight. Like, this is some serious disobedience. I'm not saying that Jonah didn't love God. This is the extent at which he was willing to disobey. He was willing to take potentially a 25 to 30 day journey by foot and replace it out of disobedience with a much longer journey by ship. So Jonah, in his desire to maybe not walk properly with the Lord, chose to disobey. Have other people disobeyed in history besides Dax and Jonah? I mean, you know, I'm not going to call anybody to come up and share their personal testimony. But, hey, what about Adam and Eve? Right? God gave them one simple thing. Hey, here's this garden of Eden. Enjoy it. Except that one tree over there. Don't eat of the tree of fruit of knowledge of good and evil. I mean, they dropped the ball on that, right? But are there people that have actually obeyed? Noah did a great job, right? Build an ark, doesn't make sense. There's no water around there. He built the ark. The rains came, the flood came. And he and however many of creation hung out for 40 days in the rain and then waited for it to subside. So he obeyed Joshua when he was sent to Jericho, marched around the city one time, six days. On the seventh day, marched around seven times. With the instrumentalists in the front, blow the horns, the walls fall down. I mean, that was obedience, right? Who are some other folks? Uh, Moses, he obeyed. Um, he was sent to the Pharaoh to ask for the children of Israel to be able to go to worship the Lord. And he went time after time after time. There was obedience. So, you know what? There is obedience for to see. And what we can learn from Jonah is that when God gives us direction, there is an expectation that his worthiness is worthy of our obedience. Let's put it as a little framework. Um, if you know anything about Assyria, which, you know, like why would we know a whole lot about Assyria? Because it doesn't affect us right now. And why we know a whole lot about them back then. A, a very prosperous nation, um, actually militaristically speaking, they were cruel. Horribly cruel. Like if you became a captive of one of their army defeats, you were probably in line for a horrible tragedy uh, death that was going to be very painful, very long, and very embarrassing. I mean, they, they ruled by domination, by destruction. Um, this city also um, was very prosperous because it sat between two rivers. So that, that brought in fertile soil. Some of you guys and, and families, ladies, you're farmers here, and so you understand that concept. I've never farmed a day in my life. Um, I've been in a lot of rice patties with people. I'm not trying to plant those seeds, but planting other seeds because you don't want me farming rice, all right? So um, we would all go hungry. So this city is a great place, but here's one thing that Jonah didn't like about the city. It wasn't the children of Israel and in the Old Testament, God's chosen people. See, Nineveh was the other side of the tracks. It was that neighborhood over there. It was that state over there. You see, there was a built-in dislike for them from the get-go. There was a built-in, I'm not going there from the get-go because he had no intention, no desire to see them. You see, God 
speaks to Jonah and says, do this because God sees something different. And here's a second observation we can take a look at Jonah, and that is, is that God's infinite love for humanity far supersedes our finite limitations. You see, Jonah saw a prosperous city. They're cruel. They're mean. They've got everything they need. They're going. They supply themselves. But they're not ones that God calls his own. So why would I go there? Why would I put myself in that position? Jonah also knows God well enough to know that this ain't no peace mission. <laughs> right? This is not like, hey, we're here to sit down and have tea and let's become best friends. God uses the words, their, 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 their evil has come up to me in verse 2 and then in verse 3. Um, the, the God is, Jonah knows God well enough to know that he is being sent there so that they will become what? Restored to God. It didn't make sense. Think about the internal struggle that, that Jonah is going through. Now, again, back to the obedience. God sees things differently than we do. His love far supersedes us. Let's count them real quick. Arise, go, call out. I mean, like, if you ever wanted a three-simple step plan, like, there you go, right? Like, I mean, it's pretty simple. What did he do? Arise. He went down to the wrong city. Found a boat, which means he had to go, like, find all these boats on the seashore. I'm sure it wasn't like, you know, Galveston Bay with all the cruise liners coming in and the fancy dinner diners over here. But there's one place to buy a ticket. Like, he probably had to go ship to ship to ship and talk to, hey, where's the master of the vessel? Where, da, da. So he had to find a boat, pay for the ticket, and then get on it and go down, right? Three simple steps of obedience, five steps of disobedience. A simple five, 600 miles to go to the city versus 4,700 miles across the water. Do you, do you see where Jonah is beginning to not see things the way God does? When Jesus came into this earth, he, God was doing something in a way that we didn't as humanity see that. There was prophetic word about Jesus coming, but did they actually anticipate the way that Jesus was going to come. Look at just the way that he disobeyed. I mean, why would Jonah possibly have disobeyed? All right, if the Assyrians were known for who they were, the Ninevites were known for their cruel destruction of people. You think for a moment Jonah was maybe a tad bit like scared about what might happen? What about the cost just to get there? Like, what were the excuses, the cost to get there, um, the fear of what might happen? He knew he was potentially in physical danger. The, the list goes on of all of the why nots rather than the whys. Now, I can redeem myself just a tad bit. It's not totally redemptive. But, um, I, went to, I went to a local shop here uh, and, and I was waiting for a haircut, but I walked in and the line just kept getting longer and longer. And I was like, for real? Like, man, this is unbelievable. And I'm just about to leave. You know when you give up on something, you're like, tap, I'm out, I'm gone. And this guy looks at me and goes, aren't you cold? I was wearing shorts and, and flip-flops and a t-shirt. Like, no, it's only like, I don't know. 85 degrees outside. <laughs> like, why would I be cold? I, I want the air conditioner. And I'm thinking, oh man, where's this going? You know, that was my first thought. And I was like, okay, get your head straight. 
because no one else in the whole place is talking. You ever been to one of those like barbershops or salons? Like nobody talks. It's like uncouth or something. I don't know what it is. And so I'm like, Lord, I'm going to push it. Like if, if you're going to make him talk to me, I'm pushing. And so I start, we start talking. I mean, total like just, and I'm like, hey, man, tell me, have you ever uh, heard the story of Jesus? I mean, I just didn't even beat around the bush. I was like, God, if you're putting me in this, I'm like, forget it. Just kick the door down. And so we get into a good conversation about where he is in his walk. He's as far as he can be from the Lord. And then as I push a little bit more, he gets up and walks away. And I was like, mm, I'm not getting my list done, Lord, but he's at least heard today that Jesus loves him. Now, that's not like, ooh, toot my own horn. That's like, I learned from the first time I screwed up. You know, like, I learned the first time I fell off my bicycle to stay balanced. Like, that helps out a whole lot and makes it a whole lot more fun. So, what is Jonah, is he thinking through? He is not realizing that with the way God sees us far supersedes the way we see ourselves and each other. I remember... One time, I know I keep telling bad stories myself, and it's always fun because it provides you a little bit of a laugh. So if you ever played baseball or softball or some kind of team sport like that, you know, you kind of depend on each other. Well, I love to play first base, and so don't worry, I never made it to the majors or minors or anything like that. Um, but I love playing first base because it was probably I was too slow to run the outfield. And so I, I go to an eye doctor appointment because I've always worn corrective lenses. Go to the eye doctor appointment, get to the baseball field, coming back from this great thing, hey, your vision is almost perfect now. For those of you that have perfect vision, the rest of us would like to have perfect vision and not have to go through this all the time. And so I'm on first base, balls hit, put my leg back, got the cool first baseman's glove. I reach out to catch the ball as the guy throws it. It comes across the ball, but the ball hits the top of the glove. No time to respond. And at that point, I'm wearing those cool, you guys remember this? Okay, there's no kids that'll make fun of how old I am. You remember those cool rec specs that everybody thought were going to be really cool, helpful recreational glasses that our kids wouldn't get hurt? Yeah, my parents bought those. And so that ball hits the glove, goes over, boom, right into my right eye. Shatters the glass, goes in, and back in the day, you guys know this, there were not emergency rooms at like every Kroger shopping strip and every Walmart shopping strip. So what do we do? We call my neighbor who is a doctor. I don't even know if he was like licensed to do this stuff. My parents are freaking out. They're like, you know, and he's like, okay, just bring him to the clinic. You know, like a good doctor you guys are, ladies you are. You know, like you don't get flustered by anything. Yeah, my arm's falling. Okay. And so we take it in there. Like he does surgery, pulls glass out of my eye. Um, and, he's, and we get it kind of all done. And I don't remember all the sutures he did to take care of it. Um, and he says, yeah, you're about one centimeter more and probably blind. I was like, oh, well, thanks. But the reality is, is that that was something that happened to me. My team sort of depended on me in that. But in Jonah's situation, when he messed up and he flubbed up, guess what? It affected a bunch of other people. I mean, I wasn't there to play first base, but I'm sure they got somebody else probably better. One of the observations that we can look at with Jonah in this situation is this right here, is that when we act in personal disobedience, it creates a communal or a community consequence. And this is one of those things that I feel like in our world that we've lost. Take a look at Jonah. And I'm going to kind of breeze through. I won't stop at every verse. I'm going to kind of highlight a few of this, starting in verse 3 and 4. The writer of Jonah says that this, the ship became near destructive, destruction, being destroyed. 
So if you own the ship, you got to be a little ticked off at this guy who brought this storm upon you, right? So you're about to lose your vessel, your life income. The ship is about to be destroyed. The people that were on the ship, the sailors were so afraid that they cried out to their own gods. At that time, they believed that gods were kind of regional geographically, which still sounds funny to me, like God doesn't move beyond the state of Texas. Okay, doesn't make sense. But like they thought, okay, well, we'll cry to our gods because maybe your god's not coming. I don't know what it is. So the ship is close to destruction. The sailors were afraid and they cry out to their gods. Then they begin to take the cargo on their ship and throw it overboard in fear that they were going to sink. Think about that. You call up Uber Eats. You call DoorDash and say, hey, go get this food for me. So your delivery driver goes and picks it up. On the way to your house, they realize that what you ordered takes up way too much weight. So they ditch it out the window and they show up to your house and say, sorry, I threw it overboard. I mean, you'd be ticked off, right? Like the cargo was their livelihood. There was expectations for it to be received in Tarshish. Like this was not like a, oh, we have a spare pizza, we'll throw it over. This is what they're paid to do. Look at the desperation of these guys. They begin to cast lots in desperation to figure out who was ha- who this was responsible Come, who was responsible for this? They begin to interrogate Jonah, begin to drill him with questions. Their fear escalates again as you look down through verses again, four, beyond 4, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. They begin to attempt to row backwards. It says they begin to row back towards the land. It was a futile effort. It wasn't going to work. They weren't going anywhere. In fact, they didn't even make it any farther. So then finally, hey, Jonah, what do you do? Oh, just chunk me overboard. This whole thing will be solved. And then they plea. Don't hold this man's blood on us. You've gotten your way. So did Jonah's disobedience have an effect on other people? We live in a very egocentric society globally. If you don't believe it, just go, go like jump on a social media app. Like everyone is in love with their phone and their camera. Sorry, I'm not like trying to step on your toes. Maybe your grandkids. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but everyone's got to get a picture of themselves. They've got to make a name for themselves. We, we live in that. And we want to have our own ideas without the consequences of those ideas. When you become a full follower of Jesus Christ, when you ask Christ to become the Lord of your life, when you recognize your desperate separation from him and he reinstates you, he brings you back, he redeems you, he restores you to who you are, you now represent him. And my sin, even when it's on the other side of the world, does affect you. My father-in-law walks in this morning, totally, I didn't even plan on sharing this illustration, walks in, hands me the newspaper. Yeah, he still gets the newspaper. Um, so we're staying with my in-laws, that's why. He, I wasn't just crashing his house at like 6 o'clock this morning. He walks in the newspaper, he goes, hey, is this you? And I was like, what? And it's some article about how, you know, churches are on like $4.8 million mansions, you know, and they don't pay tax. And I was like, no, that's not me. And But my thought was, oh, my goodness, what does this say to some of our world? I'm not saying that owning things like that is negative. But the way that's portrayed is, in the world's eyes, maybe a little questionable. So when we make strong statements, when we make ideologies, when we bring things to the table and we park on those, we better make sure that those represent the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Because what Jonah did had communal consequences. It affected people. We haven't even talked about the Ninevites yet. Remember, he was supposed to be on the way to Nineveh. And he's not even there yet. So they're not even hearing 
the fact that they've done evil and that God wants to restore them. So there is even a delay in the delivery of the message of hope for them. What do we do with some of these observations? Let me give you just a couple of things, some takeaways that we can walk away with. Because if we recognize that God, when God gives us directives that is worthy of our obedience, we need to turn that around and say, we need to live in obedience to God to exhibit his worthiness. So live in obedience to exhibit God's worthiness. Samuel said, and uh, he's quoted in 1 Samuel 15, 22, he says, as the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Our obedience illustrates, exhibits, it shows that God is worthy. Church, when a person decides in this over-sexualized culture to do everything possible to remain pure, recognize that that is speaking of the truth of God and who he is. It doesn't mean that someone um, who, who struggles with something in that area, that after they have been forgiven, that God's, it doesn't, it doesn't, it just says when someone decides, whether it's a teenager, whether it's, it's a collegian, whether it's a, 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 a midlife person, whether it's a single person in their 60s, 70s, when you choose to live pure in an over-sexualized culture, you are making a statement that God is worthy of everything about me. Everything about me. When a person chooses to live with their finances and in, in releasing that to the Lord, that is something that God is able to use to show his worthiness. The second thing we can walk away with and take home with us today is that when we understand that God's love for humanity far supersedes our limited understanding, our limited finiteness, our finite limitations, we will take the good news of Jesus Christ to all people at all cost. Multiply the mission. You guys have started, Heights started some of the ministries that, that are mentioned and are supported. You guys, we started that. We're working domestically. We're working internationally. We will take the gospel no matter where, whatever it takes. Revelation 7, 9, John said, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, and this is the part I love, from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes, the palm branches in their hands, crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We are in a Christmas season. And so how many people are hearing this in your life? You see, in places in Asia where we live, it's really awkward not to talk about spiritual stuff. So the guy that was cutting my hair yesterday, I walked in, my wife was like, Jennifer was like, did you even get your hair cut? I was like, I think so. I mean, it took an hour, so I hope he cut something. And I'm talking to this guy, and, and I'm thinking, do you even know who Jesus is? So he's cutting, which is always dangerous, like to... Talk to somebody about deep matters when they have scissors and razors near your face and head and all that kind of fun stuff. And so I just started asking questions and saying about who Christ was in my own story and, and said, where are you? And he said, well, honestly, I'm pretty far away. I kind of stopped going and I don't really know a whole lot. I mean, nobody ever taught me to read my Bible. Nobody ever taught me that I need to know who God. He just kept coming up with the why nots. 
rather than the wise. The last, uh, the last takeaway for us is that we'll walk in personal obedience to God and build up the community of faith. When we recognize again that our personal disobedience has communal consequences, let me give you the, con- this is definitely one of those times you can make the converse and it can be true that personal obedience does have communal rewards. Think about for a minute, just stop and think, Picture that person in your head that maybe you looked up to at some point in your life. It could be now 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago that was someone who set the example of what it means to follow Jesus with an entire heart, sold out life. You can do that, church. You can do that, family, father, mom, grandfather, grandmother, teenager. You can be that. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, you guys probably have heard and know this verse, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, and surely I am with you always. When you walk in obedience to God, you are building up the community. It doesn't mean that I'm, you know, like pushing some of these popular topics that are going around right now. I'm saying when we live in obedience, we set an example. We build up the community of faith. There was a lady here that served with us when Jennifer I used to be here a long time ago, um, and, and she wasn't really sure how to use her life, and so she jumped in and crossed generational boundaries and jumped in and began to work with the students, and as she began to dive deeper into the relationship with those students, and for most of them, she could have been their grandmother, and she poured her life into them and shared with them, and they had deep amount of respect and love for her. As she developed as, as a lady, as a woman of God, she also began um, to move into like women's ministry and begin to, to invest in, in younger ladies. She lived, I believe, she lived a life of legacy that, that should be an example to all of us. And I hope that as each one of us live our life, we can do that. We can see that our obedience leads towards the community of faith being built up, whether it's here or out in the world. Because what I do affects you. What I do over there or out here or outside the walls affects how you're going to share with somebody next time. Let me pray for us, and I'm going to ask you to begin to think about where you relate to Jonah and what's going on in his life. Are you one of the people that's like Jonah and God has given you some directives and and you have kind of run from those for a while? Or are you maybe like the Ninevite who's, this morning is your first time to walk into a church and you're just saying, okay, I just need to hear this good news of being restored. So, Father, we pray, Lord, that you would work amazingly through this season as we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the coming of your son, Jesus. God, that he, you sent him to die so that we could be restored to you. And so, Father, as we look at Jonah and we recognize Uh, Your love is so much deeper than anything in this world, Lord. We ask that you would continue to show that and help our hearts to see it. And, Father, that we would take a hold of our own personal life and the way we live. Father, we thank you for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.